Experience true vulnerability, how to overcome trials. You will laugh, cry, and experience everything in between. Welcome to the King of Corona podcast. Brought to you by Tyler Griffith. Are cool? All right. So, everybody, this is my brother, Todd. Hi, Todd. Hello. How are you? Good. Thanks yeah. for having me. What's that? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I've been trying to get you on for like three years, it feels like. It has been a long time coming. Yeah, but I wanted to bring Todd on. So he's actually four years younger than me. So did you feel, you felt like we were pretty close growing up, right? I thought so. It seems weird that we were four years apart. It always felt like we were much closer. Yeah. What's well, weird too, because like when you have kids now, because uh, Sophie and Austin are... I think four, no, she's, they're six years apart, but they're still really close, but it's just weird, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, Todd, so I brought Ryan on, Ryan, when he moved to Nashville, I brought him and Allie on just to talk about like that decision and why they kind of wanted to move there. And then I brought Justin on my, our older brother and talked to him about, kind of the pure energy and starting his solar business. And I kind of wanted to start just like a, almost like a little segment, maybe like once a month or a couple of times a month where I bring somebody on that's in a profession that's maybe something people would be interested in if they knew more about it, because your profession is really cool. It's like, I think if people knew about what you did, there'd be a lot more people that would probably try to go your route. Yeah, for sure. But uh, I just wanted to, so we'll get into his his uh, profession, which is? A professor of finance at Utah State University. Yeah, so you're PhD. PhD. Dr. Todd. <laughs> Anybody call you doctor? Uh, nobody ever calls me doctor. In fact, I was with somebody this weekend. He's a medical doctor, and he was making fun of somebody <laughs> that has him call. He's a historian at Utah State, professor. And I guess he like mandates that people call him doctor. <laughs> I cannot believe that he makes you do that. But like the whole the only reason he became a doctor is just so he could like use it as a power move. Yeah. I'm a doctor. It's all I have. I don't think I've ever signed my name with doctor in front of it. I don't even put it like anywhere. So yeah, I always wonder like if I got a PhD, I feel like I would feel uncomfortable about it too. I would like hate to be called something like other than my name. Yeah, I go I go by my first name with everyone. Yeah. With so students too? Oh yeah. Huh. So so Todd. Todd. Not Professor Todd. I mean, some people will call me Professor Griffith, but most will just if they get to know me at all, just call me by my first name. You should get a wheelchair and roll in and have them start calling you Professor X. <laughs> <laughs> and bick your head. And just make it real awkward, like for just a semester, and just keep it like. Remember when? Uh, did you ever watch Jim Carrey when he did that Netflix where he acted like Andy Truman? He, was it Andy Kaufman? Did you watch that? He acted like him. Uh. Uh-uh. So he got into character, and he pretended to be Andy Kaufman for like six months. He like <laughs> lived as him, and it was listening to this podcast. I think like last week, and this guy was like. Jim Carrey was one of my idols. I always wanted to meet him. I always thought he was like the coolest guy ever. And then he's like, I just happened to meet him when he was Andy Kaufman. (laughs) 
wasn't even himself. He's like, I met Jim Carrey, but I never actually really met him. That's a that's a strange alter ego. I guess I could be anybody I want. Yeah, that should be you, Professor X. Professor X. I don't yeah, know. but uh, so I want to take it back to like, I mean, I guess childhood, just kind of interest growing up. Like you obviously were the youngest of so four with mom and dad, and then we have two half. So you were kind of right in the middle. Yeah. But uh, just kind of what like shaped your interests because. The route you went wasn't even like on the radar for I never even knew that existed when I graduated college. Yeah, I mean, just starting out, I think I followed you guys in terms of like your your pursuit of higher education, like you went to Utah State. So I kind of followed your lead. I mean, I I was directed more by athletics. I think yeah. growing up track and field was everything to me. And so I came to Utah State to run track and but, oh go ahead. So track, but like your coaches and stuff were pretty influential. Like you had that, right? Yeah. So uh I had I had great coaches, but even more so I had an awesome like adult mentor. Oh yeah. So Tom Walbrecht uh just kind of took me under his wing. He ran for BYU and so just had interest in track and uh was in our our church ward and so he he just kind of took me under his wing and taught me everything he knew he is super successful businessman and so at one point i thought i was going to work for him like that was what did he do? Was he with spiders who did he work he was for with spider at the time but was starting his own like winter sportswear clothing oh, brand yeah. and he was super successful right really successful and he i mean his wife came from a lot of money as well i think they're uh -huh. from southern california somewhere and uh just just had means yeah but i i thought i was gonna work for him honestly like i went on my two-year religious mission and coming back i thought okay like i'll just finish my business degree and and work for john or he did he basically say if you get a business degree you can come work for me no he never he never actually said anything i don't even know why i assumed um but we just kind of lost touch yeah two years and i really haven't talked to him a whole lot since so when i got back to utah state i just reevaluated i think i'd grown up a lot track was was less important at that point and kind of figuring out what was next in life yeah and i thought i was gonna go to law school like that was my plan oh yeah you were interested in that huh yeah so i i did an economics degree with an emphasis in pre-law and I talked to our uncle, yeah, Merrill, about mm -hmm. being an attorney, in, in in particular in real estate. And he persuaded me not to go to law school. I think. Oh I, really? I mean, I don't, I don't think he had a whole lot of negative things to say about like law school generally. He was just like, why don't you just go into real estate? Like, if you want to, you know, be transactional in that space, like just you know, be in it. Oh, oh yeah. That kind of makes more sense. Because huh? I, I was more interested in like finance than I was really the law. Yeah. It, and, and so it made more sense for me, I think. So like, but what got you interested about like the finance side of things? Like, did you always just kind of like, were you interested in money and stuff? Like as a kid, do you remember? Because my kids right now are like, Tucker 
I wouldn't be surprised if he did something like you because he's like, he loves money. He loves like, I opened a checking account for him and he likes to see like, he likes to learn about interest. He likes to learn about like all the different things about money. And then he's coming to me, which like, I'm so stupid with money. It's like insane. So I'm like, it'd be cool if he had like a mentor that could help him get to where he wants to be. But it's yeah. like, you could tell almost like right now, he's got kind of like that mind. Like, yeah. when did you realize that was something that like, I guess you were interested in? Were you young? Um, I mean, I feel like our parents gave us an unhealthy relationship with money. Yeah. Because I feel like, I mean, our obviously our dad had quite a bit of money for some time and then lost it all and didn't have any money for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, our mom and, and stepdad were very frugal, although we, we had nice things like our, our house is really nice, but like, I don't remember going out to dinner. Remember Ryan's yeah. story about ordering a steak at prom and they asked him how he wanted it done. And he said on a grill. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't eat out like ever. I thought we seriously would go to like Wendy's maybe like once a month if we were lucky. It felt like, right? Yeah. Just so, homemade meals. Yeah. Homemade meals. I just feel like we didn't like if we had money, which we did, right? We had a pool and, and stuff. Yeah. But like, I just feel like we didn't, we definitely didn't show it in so, other ways. Yeah, so, so did you, did you wish we did? Do you, did you kind of always wish like, I wish I lived in a house where like we could do more or have more like, did you that type of thing or I don't think so I mean I it was kind of annoying living by Niwot yeah there was so much money in that area so like ridiculous money just like yeah. stupid like houses where like a football team could live there comfortably and have like six bedrooms each yeah uh I would say for me like I'm more so like from mom I was very budget conscious yeah like I just nickel and dime everything yeah. which i don't think is necessarily a good thing at all times um and then the opposite like you know dad was like all about the pursuit of money it's like that is yeah. life's journey is to get money like so that's it. so i i think like money was always kind of conversational i've never had a hard time talking about money yeah. like you know, sometimes it's taboo at dinner tables like you don't talk about money <laughs> but like I, I i feel like i have I, I have zero remorse talking about money at the dinner table like i yeah. am comfortable with it and so maybe like it was always there but i really didn't want to pursue finance like professor yeah career i wanted to just get a job in like the finance sector and like, like me like so your first ambitions were just like did you want to get like a master's or anything? Or you just want to get into corporate America and get like worked your way up in a finance industry? Yeah. So I felt like my economics degree didn't really prepare me all that well for a career. Yeah. Like it was really good for like knowledge and understanding of like how the world works, but like not a lot of career prep. And so yeah. I did just go right into a master's degree, just wanting to like accelerate my you know, my career progress. Yeah. So that, that was the decision there, but, uh, I worked with you, right? Like I tried a lot of different things. That I was worked. probably it. That was why you're driving forward. Like I do not want to do what this guy is doing. <laughs> I need to go get some education 
and make my life a little bit better than this. <laughs> I mean, but like, uh, similar to you, like we tried out a lot of different things in business and finance. So yeah. like we both had experience in sales and we did summer sales. I, I did alarms. I think you did pest control and alarms. Oh, I just did alarms. Um, and so like I did that and like it was good, great money, but not something that I wanted to kind of pursue long-term. Yeah, this is like, it's hard to get like real passion. And I was thinking about this because I got a guy that works for me right now. Have you met Will? Uh-uh. So he's like out the army, but he's like that guy that belongs in the army. He's just like, it just like lives to just like motivate and get people going and fired up and stuff. And it's like, I go into his meetings and it's like, he does a really good job, but I'm like, he was made for this. I was not made for this. Like if I was trying to do what he's doing, I would feel so uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, it's almost, yeah. Like you try certain things. And then for me personally, like, I feel like I did sales. I was horrible at first. That was so awkward. And like it, it's always like super difficult when you're trying to like go door to door talking to people, but I recognize with myself, like my skill is just relationships. It's always yeah. been like relationships. And so try to make a career out of like building relationships. Yeah. And then, yeah, for you, you probably recognize. So, so yeah, when did like you have, so you're doing sales, like you were with RBC. Is that what the bank you were with? Uh, RBS. So R I did RBS. sales insurance with you at Farmers for a little while. Um, yeah. I worked at Wells Fargo. So I did retail banking for like six months and I knew like right away, like first week that <laughs> I did not want to stay at Wells Fargo. Yeah. So I like shot my resume around everywhere <laughs> during, I feel bad, like during job hours, I'm like looking actively for a different job. <laughs> uh, and then I ended up at the Royal Bank of Scotland, RBS. Okay. I wish it were in Scotland. Can I, can I pause you real quick? Yeah. So remember where you're at, but so just for people, so like the reason I want to do this is just because like your for, your first step to go work at Wells Fargo, how do you talk listeners into moving past that? Because I think so many of us just start something and then we're just like stuck. Cause I start farmers was the first place I interviewed and I just took the job and it was all commission and it kind of sucked. And I wish I like thought about it more, but I didn't have like, I didn't have a vision. Yeah. And so, because I could tell like, yeah, this probably isn't like my future, but I wasn't able to like pursue something else for whatever reason. Like, yeah. Yeah, how, like what advice would you give to listeners that are feeling like stuck that, I mean, how hard was it for you to like get interviews and get an opportunity like at another place? Yeah, I mean, it, it isn't, it isn't natural to leave places, to leave what you, you're comfortable with. So I say for starters, like you just kind of have to step out of your comfort zone and know that things might get tough for a while, right? It can be six, 12 months as being a displaced employee and trying to find a new job. And you were married, right? I was married, yep, with, you with have, one kid. You had one kid? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you had like a life. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you're, like, you're like the perfect person because that's I think what happens is you have a you get a wife, you get a kid, you get a house, you get a 
like you get stability and then it's like you don't want to disrupt yeah so you do have to have somebody kind of supportive that will be like all right let's do this yeah uh luckily my my wife supported me twice when i like yeah. just abandoned what i initially thought i wanted to do so i would say like you you do have to take a leap of faith and just try um i think also like you just have to understand that you don't have to have loyalty to companies yeah i mean i know you should try to be a good employee and work hard but at the same time like if i were to leave tomorrow utah state like they're gonna it's gonna move on the ball is yeah. gonna continue rolling they're gonna hire somebody new like i feel like i do a good job but at the same time like everybody's replaceable and so yeah. you, you yourself as the person that's important right and not necessarily the, the company or wherever you're working and so a lot of people i think i think feel stuck because they're like oh i i need to stay like i've made this commitment and oh, they can a lot of times them. it's like a it's a, like for me it's always a relationship it's always like there's a loyalty to somebody in the company and it's hard to separate like the business relationship from like personal yeah. So, but I would say like, I mean, I still talk to people from RBS, right? I have good relationships with them. So like, I don't think there really are a lot of hard feelings as long as you go about it the right way. Like yeah. if, you're, if you're shady and you're making deals behind people's backs, like in the financial advisory world, a lot of people move shops and where issues arise is because like people are trying to, trying to steal clients yeah. Right, and move things around without like consent or, you know, proper legal uh, documents. So I think as long as you are just, you know, forthcoming, and tell people yeah. like, look, I, this isn't this isn't what I want to do, they probably agree. Yeah. The manager. Also, like, well, I also think like a lot of times uh, people in, above you, people around you, sometimes think like they know what's best for you because that that was kind of the there was a little bit of hard feelings with me like leaving utah selling my book coming to colorado and it was like it kind of got made like a little bit personal but then there was like a respect like hey you want to move on and do something else yeah but yeah it's uh it's so like i think that's great advice though for people like look at yourself like you're valuable and that this is a business. And if the people don't understand that, that you want to go do something else, like maybe there are people that aren't the best people to have in your life anyway, you know? Yeah. And if, and if you don't feel like fulfilled, that's going to be your biggest regret. Yeah. You're, you're going to be on your dying bed, not wishing that you could, you know, write another memoir, but like that you have a sense of fulfillment out of life. Yeah. And that, that fulfillment can come in, all sorts of different ways like you can get fulfillment from your work but at the same time like if you're just doing something because you feel like you just need money or you just need stability i just don't think that that's going to be a healthy way to live yeah so period and then you got like a strong drive though like todd was first in state and what the two mile the mile the 800 everything <laughs> i didn't win the, the mile and two mile yeah todd's one of these freaks where it's like I'll train my whole life, be able to run a hundred miles and then I'll go run with him and he'll beat me by like eight minutes <laughs> per mile. He runs like ridiculous. 
but you always have had like this like super like driven personality where like you can tell oh you still there yeah all right something popped up but uh yeah like you can just tell that you're not happy and you're willing to push through it and so so you got your wells fargo you're like i don't like this then you move to the other bank the royal bank of scotland yep so i was in salt lake in chicago uh-huh and that was actually really good like the bank uh was pretty low-key for an investment bank yeah. most times you're working 80-hour work weeks but we were working maybe 45 i mean i oh, wow. like it really wasn't that demanding of my time and it was a good pretty high profile type position i was working in a foreign exchange options drafting yeah. and so i was dealing directly with traders and I felt like I was building relationships there that if I were to stay, I could have transitioned over to like the sales and trade floor. You did feel like more, it was definitely like more fulfilling than Wells Fargo doing oh. this. Oh, night and day. Okay. Yeah. And then the qualifications to get that job versus your Wells Fargo job were the same. Pretty much. I mean, Wells Fargo, you don't even need a bachelor's degree, but it's preferred. Yeah. Um. What ended up happening at RBS is I interviewed for an entry-level job. And then in the interview, they started talking about derivatives. Uh -huh. And I had happened to do my thesis on derivatives. And so I was luckily knowledgeable about the subject. And we started to talk that's, about it. That's pretty lucky. And she stopped the interview. And she was like, can you come back in a week and interview for a different job that I think you'd be better suited for? Which was not an entry-level position, but like two levels above that. Really? And so I just like, again, stars- You, kinda, you just impressed them. I mean, I think I should, I mean, I think I lucked out with the person I was interviewing, the way the conversation went. And so the master's degree definitely helped me get that second job at, at RBS. But again, it was, it was more, <laughs> honestly, it was more luck. Yeah. But, but don't you think like in my personal opinion it's like right time right place like right like you were making the right efforts to like figure out what life had to offer and it's almost like god the universe whatever kind of like put that in your lap and then i there's this quote that i heard one time and it's like it always is like in the back of my mind because i'm never like working as hard as i could but it's like your success is on the other side of the work that you're not willing to do or something something like along those lines it's like if you put the work in then you're gonna find like the magic type thing yeah and so it seems like you just putting yourself in that opportunity it's like luck but like you would have bounced around until something came you know yeah no for sure i i always you know preach to my students that you have to be opportunistic right so you work really hard and then opportunities will present themselves and yeah. you have to be ready in the moment. Like if I hadn't really, you know, studied derivatives or I just gone through the motion during school, I probably wouldn't have remembered anything. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, like how much, how much do we remember from like a course we took? <laughs> like even if, even like a course I teach, I have I to reteach myself. I can't remember anything anymore. <laughs> Nothing. Alzheimer's, I think. So I think, I mean, it's it's good. It's obviously, if you work really hard in life, I think 
you will present it, be presented opportunities. And then it's just a matter of like, do you take advantage of those in the moment or? So yeah. So then, so you're at RBS. So how long did you work there for? I was there for almost a year. And they really wanted to probably like keep you within the company long term, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, I think that could have been a career. Yeah. I could have stayed there for 30 years, probably. Yeah. Um. So yeah, what happened there? So I was still talking with my professors here at Utah State. So I had two mentors, Tyler Bruff and Ben Blau, and they encouraged me to at least apply to PhD programs in finance uh -huh. because I worked on a, a thesis, my master's thesis with them. And it was already, it wasn't accepted yet at a peer reviewed academic journal, but it was like almost accepted. And like, that's not very common to have like oh, a yeah. master's student research project be quality enough to get published. Like pretty crazy. It's so like, it was great mentorship. I put a lot of work and effort into that project and I really liked doing it. Uh-huh. Part of what I do as a professor, actually the majority of what I do as a professor is research financial markets, which oh, most people don't, <laughs> they don't associate professorship with research. They uh, business. They uh, associate professorship with teaching. And I, yeah. and I really do enjoy teaching, but that's not why I wanted to go back for a PhD. Like what pays in this industry is to be a good researcher. That's like, that's your currency. So if you could be a good researcher, you can go places. So you found out that you really enjoyed that just like researching and yeah, so writing. I love like I love looking at data, uh -huh. analyzing data. I love computer programming, which is I don't know how 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 far we are away from it becoming almost obsolete because you know. have AI. But I like sitting down and like just figuring out a problem. And so like this morning I came into the office and I spent the first three hours looking at cryptocurrency data. And most of us, our brother, Justin, crypto shames <laughs> us every now and again. Yeah. And, and so then I got to thinking like, well, why was crypto created? It was created to kind of replace banking. And so I thought it'd be interesting to look at how does crypto markets respond to banking crises? Like the Silicon Valley bank crisis. Yeah. Like, do people take their money out of banks and move it over to crypto markets. Mm -hmm. Like that to me is interesting. Like, yeah, that is pretty interesting. What'd you find that, out about that? That's stressful to know. Yeah, what, what did you find about this? This is information we need to know. It says so, I'm almost out of time, by the way. So if it turns off, I'll just uh, hit you back. I got 10 minutes left. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so, so like right this morning, I just pulled in all, all crypto data. I pulled in uh, daily prices, volume uh, for what was it, 2,000 different cryptos over the last two years. And then I just plotted stuff, right, just to see if there's anything there. And sure enough, prices, like the average price in cryptos, like doubles in the days following the Silicon Valley bank crisis. Really? So, so they do, so people would move their money. So clearly people get stressed out about the banking sector and they take their money and put it somewhere. And if crypto is the hmm. substitute, then that would be a natural spot. Anyway, so 
that kind of stuff like for most people it's like what like that interests you and i'm like yeah like this is this is what keeps me i wish i wish so bad this stuff interests me like you and justin get talking and i feel like you might as well remove me from the group i'm like a third <laughs> you know it's like you two justin will sit and code all day long all day like doesn't even need to take a breath it doesn't even look like this starts his day takes his like 15 energy drinks to his couch and then yep slugs away stars yeah but if you so you're like legitimately interested like you get to sit down and read about it it's like you're excited like you go to work and you're like yes i have time to research about crypto currencies yeah Dang. yes and we're from the same two parents correct right. <laughs> Just sure. So I think, and so like my, my master's thesis was also on banking, ironically, but I just like really liked the process. Yeah. Like I like being able to, to like have like a statistical hypothesis, right? Like a science, like it's like going back to fifth grade. Like you set yeah. up like a scientific hypothesis. I don't know. Maybe it's seventh grade Who and, knows? and you go and like collect some data Right. And then you test it and you see if there's any result. Right. Like, yeah, I love that that process. It's pretty and, interesting. I guess if you like, but you created like a, a life where you get to like do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think and I can do a it. Lot people, a lot of people are probably like you, like, dang, that sounds cool. I wish I could do that. I could do that for a living. But it's like they have to go to Starbucks every day from eight to five and then. They yeah. gotta go work another job because Starbucks isn't gonna pay the grocery bills. This yeah, where we're at. But what's interesting is I didn't know, like how to like I didn't know how this worked. Like you said, being a professor was not on the radar at yeah. all. Because first and foremost, I thought professors made nothing. Yeah, like I thought that like I thought they got paid almost as well as high school teachers. Yeah. And a lot of college professors do. So it depends right? think, on the subject. Yeah. So I think like the the average salary is probably like eighty to a hundred thousand or somewhere like that. Which is still like it's I mean good. That's, for a lot of people, they would be like, wow, that's great. Like, because you think yeah. about if you go down to like high school or middle school level, then it's what? It's probably fifty right now. Forty right? fifty, yeah. So forty fifty. So you're like at least you're double almost. Yeah. And then if you get into like a business school or an engineering school, like the salaries are are really competitive. Yeah. We're talking like Wall Street competitive. So like you anyone can look up my salary, right? You know my name now. You go to Utah Glass Door and look it up. And yeah. You'd probably be surprised. Yeah. I was and shocked. It may be a little bit frustrated that you're like, <laughs> what the crap? Um you gotta you gotta like this guy has the best schedule you've ever seen in your life. Like he doesn't work. He doesn't have to work summers, but he can pick up courses if he wants to make more money. He work. How many classes do you teach per week? So I teach two days a week, Mondays and Wednesdays. Yeah. So I have Tuesday, Thursday, Friday as my research days. But in the spring, I ski Tuesday and Thursday mornings. Every every Tuesday Thursday, and you're you're uh, you got tenure now. I do, but I've been doing that. I mean, I know, but like the the expectation though. So like you don't, there's no clocking in and clocking out. It's just we need you to publish a certain amount of things per year or something, right? 
Yeah, that's like the great thing for me is like last night, Kamiko and I, my wife were just watching a TV show that, you know, I'm I'm sort of into, but yeah. And I just pull up my laptop and I can do things just whenever yeah. I want. So like there isn't any constraint. And so I can, as long as I get what I feel is like good work done, then nobody is looking over my shoulder and asking me like, well, why weren't you in the office today between 8 a.m. So and nice. noon? That's so nice. I still feel like this, like, I started this office here, but I still feel this like I need to be there, like guilt all the time because yeah. I know these people are working, but I'm like, I could go get sales on my own to really like help things, which would be really nice of me, which I'm going to try to engage and do that. But I think most careers and most jobs, like you do have a sense of like, like there's people like over your shoulder, you know, there's like an expectation. And I mean, it's crazy to think that you could be at a college university and feel like you have more freedom than a lot of us who are like 1099 self-employed, like, legit pain shit like all of our benefits are horrible you know what i mean and you're yeah. like yeah you found this like little weird little wormhole in the galaxy where you just landed like straight on your freaking feet yeah it's definitely a sweet spot i mean i would say the biggest deterrent of you know becoming a professor is the phd program yeah. because it's such a rite of passage there's so many things that you have to do that like are beyond absurd. <laughs> like, so the first two years of a PhD program are coursework. Yeah. And so you, you go through these rigorous courses, a lot of economics training for a finance degree. So I had like nine economics classes and four finance classes. So it's mostly like econ theory. And at the end of your second year you take what are called comprehensive exams and it tests you over everything that you've learned over two years and for our finance seminars we read like eight papers a week was kind of the expectation so eight academic articles you did, did, that, did you write you write eight so we, we read eight, okay. eight papers so eight papers a week for two years essentially and then on our comprehensive exams we had to be able to cite every single one of those papers and what they found right what journal like trying to create like photographic memories in you guys somehow yeah so luckily like i have a great short-term memory yeah my long-term memory is not very good at all but <laughs> short term like i you can just lock it in i feel like i'm kind of the same i can memorize stuff and like yeah. keep it for a very limited time and then it's gone yeah so like that alone keeps people from doing it, right? And yeah, it is a grueling process. Like the last yeah, two years. Yeah, but like, so you're at RBS though. So like, what was it though? Like, how did you decide you wanted to apply for the program? Can Let me just actually stop this one and I'll just start a new one. Because okay. this one's got like a minute 40 left and then it'll just start over. It's got 30 minutes. Okay. So we'll just, because I got a lot more questions for you too, because- it's a All pretty right. cool. It's a pretty cool thing you got going. Okay. I'll stop. I'll just send you an invite to your email. All right. Things you got to do, like which I would imagine is, it's the same thing why people give up on like dental school, medical school, law school. It's because it's like, oh, this has nothing to do with it. I'm not going to do it. And it's like, well, congratulations. Now you don't get to do what you wanted to do. 
Good job. Yeah. So, but yeah, so just back up a little bit because I missed the part. Well, so you're at RBS and then there was something you did, like you researched something. What was it? The der derivatives? That was what it was? Yeah, so when I was at RBS, um, I was just really interested in research, just generally. Yeah. I kept conversing with my professors here at Utah State, and we just worked on different ideas. And I just loved the idea of like continuing to like understand like the world of finance. Yeah, I feel like at RBS, and this is probably true for for every job. But after about six or eight months, I got pretty good at what I was doing. Yeah. And I wasn't really learning a whole lot of new things. Like it was show up, rinse and repeat. And so through kind of boring. It was just kind of it was just kind of boring. Yeah. I mean, the people were great. A lot of meetings, as you get like seniority, you go to more and more meetings, which, which the meetings they get so pointless too. So I just felt like I didn't really see like a vertical movement. Yeah. Because I was on the operation side of the bank and really there's only like one place to get to that everybody wants to get to. And that's like, you know, operational manager. Yeah. Like that individual is going to be there forever. Like they're never going to leave. So it's true. The operations manager position is usually a pretty cush, good position. Yeah. Like, and if you're just like a senior manager of an ops team, like you're making okay money, but was there like was there opportunity to move though and become like operations manager of different regions, or was there just I mean, maybe the RBS would have been challenging. I could have left the bank and gone to a different bank, probably. Yeah. Um, that's, I bet that's what is that what typically happens if somebody does stay with the company, they just like you were saying there was no like real vertical movement but it's like for me with farmers like i i had to sell my book because i was just churning and turning policies so i couldn't write enough to actually grow so i had to sell it and use the money i got and leverage that money to buy a bigger book and then get like a bigger loan but then there was more income coming in so that was really like the only way to get ahead in like farmers but i mean that makes sense because it seems like you would just kind of just move and you're going to always run into a ceiling. Like you're just going to yeah. be bouncing along a ceiling with your options, I guess. Yeah. And I just felt like that's the ceiling at RBS was pretty low. Yeah. At least for where I was at. Like I, I was in a team of three people from the U S so it was me and two guys in Chicago. And then we had maybe a handful of people in Singapore and some folks in the UK. And that was like, that was it. And so, again, like, I didn't really see, like, okay, if I stayed in this position, like, I could become my manager, but, like, he's not really doing anything other than, it's, like, overseeing what I'm doing. Yeah. So that's not really going to be anything new. And then if I, I could leave and go somewhere else, but, I mean, if, if I stay with the bank, I have to go to, like, Singapore or the UK. Yeah. Yeah, and then you don't, don't see the family ever. You're basically yeah. just like an army at that point, right? Just bouncing around. Yeah, which I mean, I guess could have been cool for like maybe a couple of years, but um, I think the the biggest driver in terms of like why I wanted to go back to school was I just I just felt like anywhere I ended up in industry, I would have gotten to that point where yeah, it was monotonous, 
and and I think that's probably like I mean where it probably should stop for a lot of people though like maybe that like moving to Singapore moving around and like people are different and so people could look at that like that is because you probably had I would say probably more financial you could have gained more financially staying that route you probably would have like to stay in the business sector and actually like be transactional you probably could have made more but then you're moving and it's like at that point you just got to decide like priorities like do you yeah. want do you want to stay somewhere and actually like have a house and be part of your community or do you want to and a lot of people are like i don't want to know anybody i just want to take all their money and i want to buy all the ferraris that are in existence and that's yeah. what i want <laughs> yeah i mean i so i talked to the to the folks in Chicago a lot. And I lived out there for six months. And so they were commuting like an hour and a half each way. Like no one lives in the city. So like they're all living in the suburbs that they have families. And like you're on a train and a bus and a car for like three hours a day. Yeah, that's horrible. And like, I just didn't, I didn't like the lifestyle, I guess, enough. Yeah. Although like, I, I think if I if I had been single, so uh -huh. no family, right, no kids, I could have seen myself living in a big city for, you know, five years. Like that yeah. would have been good. And and you could make enough money in like 10 or 15 years on Wall Street to retire. Yeah. If you don't get caught up in the lifestyle. Yeah. If you if you save. If you save. <laughs> But all it seems like so many of these guys now are like so like I don't know. This is new people I've been following that are like money people kind of, but like almost obnoxious, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you're a loser if you don't do this and this. And it's like, I mean, that's your opinion. But like all these people buy into like <laughs> well, it's like I see those those TikTok videos, like if you don't make a hundred thousand dollars a month. Like, what are you doing with your life? And you're like, that's really hard to do. <laughs> like, if you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year, like you're in the top like five percent of the world. Yeah. Maybe not top five percent, but like if you're like a hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars, like you are top five percent. You know what's so interesting to think about those people though? They're using everybody's like stupidness against them to be the person that makes a hundred thousand dollar a month just by telling everybody you could be like me. And then we're all like, I want to. I know. We go join their programs and it's like, oh wait, it's because I'm not him and I don't have his personality. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Like like you said, like earlier, like like that guy you work with, is it Will? Like mm -hmm. just as the personality. He has a knack for that business. It's like, that's what drives him. Like he loves it. He loves like beating people. Like there's a competition. Like I've always talked, I, I don't think I've told Will this, but like I'll talk to people about my profession and it's like, I can't, I can't really get competitive because it will never end. And I'm such a competitive person that like, if I took my career in sales and became like, I want to be the best salesperson in the whole organization that I know how much time goes into that. I know how much time away from my family goes into that. And so it's like, I would say there's some settling that goes into my decision to like go to my kids sporting events and make a little bit less money and have freedom to do like a podcast and this and that. But it's, I think 
people need to figure out like what's your dream what does your dream look like what's your dream is it is it traveling to singapore is it being single is it having kids is it being with your kids is it and it's just you got to pick the things that are going to like hit the priorities i guess in your life and then for sure i think it's really hard for people to not to judge other people because a lot of people think that you should be like me you should have the mm. same desires and the same motivations and there's just there's so many different things out there that draw people in yeah that it's really just yeah paint paint a picture get a dream go after it and so like do you have any is there any regret for you about like any decisions you've like made up until becoming a professor? Do you wish you would have gone and explored more or anything um, like that? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, you always have like, cause you can't live, live in the past, live in regret. Right. Yeah. So I try not to, to stew on it. It's hard to look at like what Justin's done. Yeah. I think like, Oh, we were both like, I was there. Right. Like yeah. with, with his uh soul with his uh, alarm company yeah like if i just had stuck it out and like just continued with him and probably could have ended up be, being partners and whatever and like yeah. you could look at that but but the counterfactual is unknown so yeah. like who's who's to say that that even if i had stayed like we would have came up with the idea together or Seriously. it's like the butterfly effect so like i don't know i think i think if i did it all over again i might pursue trading like sales and trading at a at a bank, uh -huh. like financial securities products, um, but again that lifestyle I wouldn't have loved it for very long. Like I think I could have done it for five, ten years maybe, and and I'm really competitive, like you. That's, that's that's what I was saying. Like it feels like to me sometimes God like puts things in your lap for the right reasons. Like knowing you, like you prop. You'd probably be that guy that worked way too much. You know, well, I, I would live at the office. Like I would, yeah. I wouldn't have a family. I'm saying. So like, I've been, I mean, if I had to guess, like I probably wouldn't have my two other children. Yeah, and I would say like how you were talking about being on your deathbed, because I think about that sometimes. Like, what am I going to look back? I do think your sense of purpose, doing something that really like was fulfilling, is going to mean a lot. But then also like. Who are the people, like, let's say, like, you're, like, a grandpa and you got really severe Alzheimer's and every now and again, like, somebody popped into your head, you would want to, like, have your children and you want to have your wife and you'd want to have, like, these meaningful relationships. And to me, I honestly believe time is love. Like, I just don't see how it's not the biggest factor in, like, a loving relationship. And yeah. to be on my deathbed and be thinking about, like, you know, like a sales rep or somebody like that would be just, that would be really sad to me to be like, dang, I have more memories with my work colleagues than I do with my family. Yeah. And I, and I honestly feel like that is who I would have been because during my PhD program, I mean, it was long hours. Like we're talking 90 hour work weeks for, yeah. I would say three, three years. The last two years of my PhD program, I mean, I'll, I'll say this, right? And I say it to all of the people who are considering PhDs. If you don't enjoy the last two years, you should get out of the profession. Really? Because really, what you're doing the last two years is what you're going to be doing the rest of your career. So it's like, if you don't, 
if you're not liking that, not liking the research component, like the creativity, like coming up with ideas. Yeah. And I mean, you're probably not going to love being a research focused professor. So did you, did they like paint a picture for you? Like, this is what your profession is going to be like, or was it just. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you basically know. So if you pursue a PhD, more often than not, the advisor is going to push you towards a career in academia because that brings prestige back to the institution. Okay. So like if I leave, I went to Ole Miss for my PhD. And if I leave and I go to Harvard, yeah, that's going to reflect really, really well on Ole Miss. And so now it can attract better talent because mm. they can say, look, we place PhD students at places like Harvard. Yeah. Right now, Utah State, it's kind of a lateral move to Ole Miss, maybe even a little lower. So it wasn't like this great placement, but it's also where I wanted to be. But doesn't it like, doesn't that look good that you are a student, like you went to Utah State? I mean, the fact that you're at the university that you graduated from, like that's probably not super common, I wouldn't imagine. Yeah, it's actually, it's a, it's partly frowned upon. To be honest, I mean, you do see it a little bit like within certain geographic areas. Utah's a little more than other uh -huh. places because you get that attraction back to Utah. Yeah. Um, but usually they want diversity. And mm -hmm. I don't really check many of the diversity boxes being who I am and being from Utah State. Yeah. And so right in you could you could make an argument for like why that might help being like you yeah, know having but... different perspectives but at the same time like i care so deeply about the success of this institution that like i don't think it compares to people yeah. that aren't from here well so I'm, I'm just thinking about strictly in terms of like the like numbers like there's one finance how many finance professors are there so we have six tenure track finance professors Okay, so there's like a very limited spot and like the finance professors, I'm guessing, are there for a really, really long time, correct? Yeah, yeah. so like, like they're 70. Yeah, so a I'm just saying a position opened up at Utah State right when you were like ready That's to start funny. working. That's pretty crazy. That's yeah. what I'm just saying. Like you probably have a lot of people that want to go back and be a professor where they went because it that's probably so fun for you. You get to take your kids to like, here's where me and your mom met. And like, yeah, here's where I played this. You guys both ran track there. It's like, yeah, very, you just have a lot of roots like in that city. No, it's really cool. I mean, it was fun to even come back and be like a colleague to all of my professors that I had classes with. Right. At first it was yeah. a little daunting, like to go sit in a faculty meeting across from like my econ professors and be like, Hey, I'm your peer. That's so weird. It's going to be the weirdest thing ever. So like that, that took a, a little while to adjust, but it's been like really fun to, cause you, you know, the area, you know, the school, you know, yeah. what it's full of. So it's, it's been a, it's been a pretty fun ride. So like, so you, after the RBS, then what do you have to do to get into Ole Miss? Like, so do you, would you have to take it like a test? Yeah, so you have to take the GRE or the GMAT to okay. get into 
a business PhD program. Now, and that's basically all they care about. So how many years of school? So like you got to get your master's. If you're getting your PhD, can you just skip your master's and be like PhD and cut time off or no? Um, that's actually becoming more common, but uh -huh. a lot of finance programs still require master's degrees. So your master's was a two-year program? So mine was a year and a half. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's usually four years undergraduate, two years master's, and then four or five years for a PhD. So you did four years at Ole Miss? I did four years. That's so crazy. Yeah. So four years at four years at Ole Miss. And and something that people don't know is that if you pursue a PhD in business, generally it's paid for. Yeah, so I don't think anybody knows that. So there's almost always um scholarship money for all tuition. And then they even pay you a stipend for living expenses. So the average stipend is probably around $25,000 per year. Yeah. And then it can range from like, let's say 20,000 to 50. Like, so uh, you really have to go, like, so you got this, you didn't really have to go into debt. Not like, much no, the university of Arkansas offered me, I think $55,000 stipend. <laughs> and I turned it down. I don't know what I was thinking, but it worked out for me. Ole Miss was like the best situation for me and like yeah. loved it there. But it was also the place that paid the least, which is ended up being fine. Like I, I still didn't have to take out hardly any student loans. I mean, I paid those off in the first year of employment. So like I have, I have so awesome. um, in fact, my master's degree cost me more than my PhD. Did it really? Yeah. A year and a half? My year and a half master. Nobody degree. knows that. Like, cause I always think everybody thinks that you gotta get like a athletic scholarship or there's, it's just, cause I think even if I went back to school right now, I could get probably a lot of my education, <laughs> education covered just yeah. because of, there's a lot of different things out there. So how did you, how did you find out about that? Like, how did, how did you figure that out? Just a conversation with a professor. Just oh, really? Him, like, you do know what you paid for. It's I like mean, that. It's like that conversation. Did you guys? Did you watch that? Uh, who was it? The coach of Tampa Bay. Um, was, I don't think I see it. No. He's being interviewed, and the lady asked, "So it's been really, really cold, right in in Detroit. Like, well, yeah. are you worried about going and playing there? Like, how your players are going to adjust?" And he was like, "You do know we're playing indoors." Like we're we're in a dome. <laughs> so it's like it's kind of like that conversation. Like I felt so I felt so silly because I'm like, I'm like, I I have to go into like a hundred thousand dollars of debt. You know, like it's a it's a doctoral degree. I'm gonna be yeah. paying like for this for the next 20 years of my life. Yeah. And this professor's like, dude, it's it's free. <laughs> not, not only is it free, but they pay you. So like at that moment you were like no brainer let's do this yeah I was like so I mean, okay let's so let's back it up okay so if it was gonna cost you and you were gonna go a hundred thousand dollars two hundred grand three however much money people go into debt for like medical school or like law school like would you have done it honestly I don't think so yeah um, that's, that's a huge 
these people and they don't waive student loans for anything like yeah. you got to pay those off until you're dead these yeah. i was listening to this podcast and they were saying how there's a big big chunk of people now that are collecting social security while paying their student loans still yeah it's pretty crazy <laughs> that's the saddest thing you've ever heard i mean they should get some financial advice because there should be some type of student loan forgiveness after so so much Seriously. time of paying even the minimum but it is sad like it's it's so expensive to get a professional degree these days and i mean for me i say i i wouldn't go back it's hard right like now yeah. that i know my lifestyle and i know like what i can have yeah even if it cost me you know a hundred thousand dollars like i probably would do it like with the knowledge that I have now. Yeah. If I, if I had taken like a, a time machine back with no knowledge and I'm still in that same position and they tell me that it's a hundred thousand dollars, it's hard to leave, you yeah. know, a job that's paying you close to that and then walk away from that back into a student lifestyle with a <laughs> wife and kid with one on the way. So wait, so how do you like how do you guys pay your bills during that time? So they give you money to like live too? Yeah, so it's just I'm an employee. So you are a research assistant or you're classified as a teaching assistant. Uh -huh. How it worked at Ole Miss is you were assigned to a professor. So I got there, they assigned me to one of the senior professors, and I just worked with him on whatever he needed. So sometimes I go to his class. Sometimes I'd grade his stuff. Sometimes he'd ask me to work on some data collection, research. Really, I was just at his disposal. Yeah. And that was my job. I was a W-2 employee. And I just got paid, right? Like once hmm. once a month. And it was like enough. So you, you did have to take out a little bit, right? Like you went to a little bit of debt, you said? Yeah, I took out a little bit, not because I had to, but because we wanted to just enjoy our time there. Like go like, to the restaurants and go see yeah. things and yeah. Yeah, like we could have lived frugally and probably gotten by. Yeah. Um, but we also wanted to go to Nashville and to Memphis and to like we wanted to go to Ole Miss football games and basketball games and baseball games. Like, I feel like we would have missed out uh, entirely on the been, Yeah, that probably would have been a regret to live like go to Ole Miss and miss things. Like that would suck. Yeah. That's one thing too. Like I think. I always think about this, like people always stop living, like they take, they just live too far into the future, I feel like, that I just can't even imagine how many people die with all of their money in their account and not like really doing much. Yeah. Um, but I was going to say too about that debt, because I know my ex-brother-in-law, Sean, he went to medical school and he became, he's a neurologist now. So he went and like, he did rack up some debt. But they give you like they give you pretty good plans to pay off your debt. And then you just manage your life around the money that they give you. And then once it's paid off, you have a substantial increase in your pay. Yeah. And so it's like it's almost the same feeling as like if you have a 30 year on your home, once you pay it off, that's all extra. Like you're basically doing that with your career and doing that with your home. And then, yeah, so I think. It's definitely worth it. Like, I think if you had to go into a hundred thousand, what do you think? Do you have any idea what the, like for a professional degree, like what do people go into debt for that? Um, well, there was a person who in, in California who just surpassed a million dollars, but 
that is unheard of. I would say <laughs> if you're if you're a medical student, you might be looking at two to three hundred thousand to pay on the school. Um, but look, you can get a private education as an undergraduate and pay two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So it's all perspective. All like, right, why do you yeah. why do you want to go to an Ivy League school, a private institution, and pay hundreds of thousands of dollars? Well, because the chances of you getting a job that pays you a million a year is much higher. Yeah. Coming out with a network of of Harvard, you know. Ole Miss looks pretty good on your resume, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, people like Ole Miss. It's it's a well, it's a mid tier school for sure, but it's it's been really good for me. I so mean, what does that mean though? So, like, do you think these people at Harvard get like? I mean, if they're doing the same thing as you, are they, is it is the education that much better, or is it just all prestige? So I don't think the education is any different. In fact, yeah. it might be inferior because the professors at Utah State and schools like Utah State have to dedicate a lot more time on teaching. Yeah. Whereas a professor at a research-focused school really only cares about research and teaching is, you know, not even secondary. It's yeah. like 10th on the list. And so... The difference is, like I told you in the beginning, research is everything in the profession. Yeah. And the research that I do, I mean, I've I've done a lot of research and been fortunate to publish in, in pretty good journals. But, you know, at Utah State, I can publish in a list of, you know, 20 journals. And those are all considered, you know, really good. Yeah. Whereas if I'm at Harvard, my list is like three. Oh, wow. And the acceptance rates at those journals is like three or 4%. It seems like that. Yeah. That just seems so much more just stressful. You're just always yeah. trying to be like the number one, always yeah. number one. Like that's, I feel like that's the hardest thing for me about like the professional world is like, it's so, it's so competitive and it's like a lifelong thing that once you get put here, you got to stay there. And then like, you see these people that fall from grace sometimes. Like I got a DUI, I think it was like three years ago now. And so I'd be, you had to take these classes and you'd have somebody that was like, I mean, let's just say similar to like a Harvard professor, but just like we had this guy that was a really successful lawyer and his whole life was basically like this prestige that he had built up. Yeah. And he got a DUI and they took his license. Ugh. and he ended up committing suicide and i was just thinking like okay this is where somebody took life and prioritized it wrong they put all their all their priority was on this like imaginary like business thing that it's good it's good to have it makes money but if it's your whole existence like and then do you think that happens a lot with people that just start trying to get these professional degrees, not they're just they're just after the prestige, just for conversation type, like so they could like you were saying, drop doctor. <laughs> I think absolutely. I think it's people be so exhausting. It's yeah, it's the there's like that joke, like how many letters do you have after your name? It's like how many certifications can you get? Right? How many degrees can yeah. you get? And 
if that is the goal, like, you know, what are you, what are you even doing for society? Seriously. But like, but a lot of those people do get a big, they get a big voice and they do impact society. And it's, yeah, it's important that if you get to that point, you keep your, keep yourself grounded in the right things. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's just so crazy. So then you, uh, see, so what'd you take the GRE? Is that what you took or the, the GRE? Yeah. It was the GRE or which other one? GMAT. And then what did you have to get pretty good scores in order to get considered? Yeah. So you probably have to score in the 70th or above percentile in the quant section to uh -huh. be considered at schools like Ole Miss or um, Washington State or something like that, right? State yeah. schools generally. Um, but if you want to be considered at, you know, more elite schools, even like the University of Utah, CU, Boulder, I mean, you have to be in the 90th percentile of the quant section. Oh, really? Yeah. And so wow. it is kind of, so I, I've been told the GRE GMAT won't get you in to a school, but it will keep you out. Yeah. Did you just take it once? Uh, I took it twice. So how many, how many hours did you put into studying for that? So were you studying, so you were going through a full-time job while studying? Is that what you were yeah. doing? Or did you quit your job? No, I was, I was, uh, I studied for it when I was in Chicago. Okay. So I'd go to work, come home. Cause my wife and kid were still in Salt Lake. So I would you just, were in, how often were you in Chicago? So I was there for six months. You lived, you lived in Chicago away from them for six months. Um, they came out for a couple of months. Okay. That's right. That's crazy. I forget about this. Yeah. So, so was that like a huge motivator then just to get by your family too? Like I need to be done with this job so I can like live next to my family. Well, the, that wasn't the expectation. They told me that it was going to be like a few weeks in Chicago and then I'd be back in Salt Lake. And they just but kidnapped you. It ended up, the office just wasn't developed in Salt Lake. And right. it was really just a, such a small team that I had nowhere to really go in Salt Lake. I was right. So frustrating to have that expectation set there and like not have that be what it was. Yeah. So, then, was, so you're in Chicago, so you don't you don't go home. So you have time to study. Yeah. So I just like went back to my they gave me like a, you know, a suite kind of at the presidential towers, more like a studio apartment. And I just go back there and study all night, went and took it and did well enough to get into Ole Miss. I got into a, a few different schools, but yeah. Uh, my advisor here at Utah State, the one that mentored me, went to Ole Miss. Oh, okay. And so, like, he had pumped it up, right? Like, this is going to be the best yeah. thing ever. And so, when I got the offer, it was almost like a no-brainer. Like, that's where I wanted to go because I had so much, you know, admiration for my my advisor. It was like things really did just kind of, like, move along pretty smoothly for you. Like, whether it was... That's interesting to think about is like the things that happened to you that kind of maybe seemed unfair that set you up for success. I think a lot of times you look at your situation and you're just the victim and you want to just act like, well, this and this and this, but maybe if you're patient, things will work out. And then like for you, it just seems like you were always looking for an opportunity. Like, yeah. But I think in our family, just we have something in us that's like, just we have no quit when we have something we want it's like we have to get it yeah 
it's which can be good and bad, right? Like it can yeah. put us down a path where like we're trying to get something that's meaningless, but we're putting like all of our time and effort into it. <laughs> so you like all the stuff that's what I always joke about with like you and Justin. It's like all the stuff that you guys are interested in pays uh, pays like really good money. And then like me and Ryan, like music and like I go play open mics and shows and I get like 250 bucks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But who knows? Sometimes that stuff works out. Yeah. But uh, so Utah State, though, how's that been? It's been fun. It's been really good. Uh, I'm in my seventh year, which is crazy. Oh, you get how long does it take to get tenure? So the tenure clock is typically six years. So you have. Okay. You have six years to build a case. So like why the university should keep you. And then essentially a lawyer, just like you want it to be. Yeah. And the fall, the fall of your sixth year, you submit your packet. And then they let you know in the spring whether or not they're gonna tenure you. Yeah. Which was pretty easy because you had so many publications and teacher of the year and right. (laughs) Like it was pretty much like a no-brainer. I mean, I so I will say this. I, I published in our very top journals right when I got to Utah State. So I okay. got, I was really fortunate to not have like really any stress in terms of research. How do you think you were able to do like, how did you just come with like a new look on things? Like you're just a little bit more having kind of a new age way to look at the finance world that everybody kind of enjoyed or what do you think that um, was? No, I... So during my PhD program, my dissertation, I took on the task of collecting data that hadn't been collected before. Okay. And so I spent like, you know, eight months collecting this data from its order level data from the exchanges. And I was working in the options markets. And what people don't understand is, you know, stock markets are massive, right? Like for every stock you have, you know, millions of trades, if not billions of trades happening. Yeah. But then you think about the derivatives markets and for every op for every stock you might have 100 different options. Which each of those options is its own stock. Really. Which means when you're pulling in this data, it was about I mean, it was about 1 terabyte a day. Which most computers are like half a terabyte, you know what I mean? Like 500 yeah. gigabytes of data total. Is like all wow. your laptop can hold. And so like, I took this on like thinking like, okay, if I can actually get this done, it'll be like this really unique data set that I can publish a few papers with, right? Yeah. And, and that really was the difference maker. It was like, I, I had an idea, but it was really like just putting the effort into compiling oh. this really messy data into a workable format. Hmm. So... Oh, it worked out. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It seems like it's like you definitely found your calling. It's like we went and saw Todd uh, for Christmas and we went to his office and saw where he teaches. And it just feels like it's just like the perfect fit, you know? It is. I mean, I I love it because it gives me so much flexibility, but it's also different every yeah. day. Because like every semester it's a new group of students it's a new challenge yeah so like i'm never although i'm teaching maybe the same material i constantly update 
So like I'm I'm notorious for like changing my course every semester when I, when I when I probably shouldn't. It's like way too time consuming. Yeah, well, that's good. That means you're still interested. Like, I bet you those teachers that just keep it the same get really bored. Yeah. Or I get super bored and then they start looking to, like. They just check out. They just, yeah, they're gone. Goodbye. So, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think the balance of, like, teaching and research really keeps me engaged and keeps me happy because. Yeah. There are semesters where teaching is a grind. Like I have classes that are just kind of duds. Yeah. Not because like the students are bad, but just because like they just don't care. Yeah. And then I'll have semesters where the, the teaching is phenomenal, but then the research is like really frustrating because you're like submitting it to these journals and it's all peer reviewed. So it's a crapshoot. It's like, you don't know who you're going to get as a reviewer. They may love it or they may hate it. It doesn't matter yeah. what you do. They hate it. They hate it. Yeah, that does suck. That's like one of those things too. That's just like the luck of the draw. It's like if it works out, it works out type thing. Yep. But this thing's gonna end in two minutes. So, and then I got. I think my kids are almost to walk in, so we should probably wrap it up. Yeah. We should do another one sometimes. It's fun talking to you. Yeah, it's fun. But uh, I did have. I got a question that Kelsey did want me to ask you. Do the girls come on to you because you're a good looking young professor, the college girls? That has never happened. And not I don't, one time. Not one time. It it might happen, but I think you'd have to actually pursue it. I picture yeah. you as like Indiana Jones with like the girl in the front row that's like, <laughs> I love you on her eyelids or something. I mean, <laughs> as far as as far as I know, I mean I've I've never seen it, nor have I heard of it. I mean, yeah. Utah State might be different, but it never happened to be at Ole Miss either. And you would expect, like, if it's going to happen, Ole <laughs> Miss is probably the place it would happen at. Yeah, maybe people just, like, everybody really does really want to be successful, and they know that could really mess things up for student, teacher, everybody, basically. Yeah, for me, it's like, that's career ending. Yeah, that would be the end. You don't want to be those girls, but then you can start on OnlyFans and show your boobs and you'll make more than you make as a professor. That's what some of these girls are doing. They have affairs with their, their students. Yeah. That's what that's what people are saying now, right? Like, yeah, do the trade route or do like, and like, I think teach their own, but more education is always good. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks for coming on. I think it's about to... About to wrap up here, but uh, proud of you. I think you're doing awesome. And, Thanks. Uh, I'm excited to see what you do with the future with all your research. If you want to ever just quit and come sell solar, there's always a job here for you. Okay. Maybe I'll just come do it in the summer. Yeah, Brian's going to, I think. Yeah, that'd be fun. So if you want to come out. I'll just come hang out. Just come <laughs>